Have you brought your Bibles today with you? Okay, I see a few of them out there. See phones, that's good. Uh, the reason I ask you that today is because I sent out a notification yesterday uh, via our church app. Did you know we have a church app? Yes. And uh, it's letting people know that it'd be a great day today to especially bring your Bible as we're not reading all of the scripture related to the story today. You might want to fill in some of the blanks uh, because it's a long story. If you don't have the app, the encouragement, just get one if you have a smartphone. Um, you can get that and uh, you'll receive those notifications. Uh, some important notifications come through the app, so I think many of you have it. Uh, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God does not think the way we think. And I would say, aren't you glad? That's right. And so the question I would ask you as we begin today is, have you ever had situations in your life that made these verses explicitly clear to you, personally? It could be a, a diagnosis that seems catastrophic only to see years later that God had purpose and God used it for good. It could have been this unexpected layoff that just came out of the blue and you thought that was the end of the world only to see God launch you into something you never thought you'd be doing. Imagine if we went across the room, we would uh, just see all kinds and hear all kinds of stories of how God took what we thought to be either an impossible or a dreadful or a terrible situation and uh, his thinking was totally different. He brought something good from it. God's ways are higher than our ways. A few examples. I remember uh, being turned down. I was a senior in high school. I remember being turned down for a scholarship to this college. Can you believe that, by the way? I'm still a little bit sore over that. And I thought all hope was lost. <laughs> How am I going to pay for this? But God didn't want me at that school. He redirected me towards a different school where I would meet people who one day wanted me to be in their wedding and said, there's this girl in the wedding and we want you to meet her and her name is Cindy. I know, I met my wife in a wedding. How's that, huh? Yeah. Great pickup place. I Sorry. Sorry, love. That's not in my notes, by the way. I just said it. God's ways are higher than our ways. Amen. He knows what he's doing. I remember when the fertility doctor told Cindy and I, we're never going to have biological kids. God meets our despair, doesn't he? We have two adopted blessings. God's ways are higher than our ways. John 11, we have a story of Jesus bringing dead Lazarus back to life. And uh, it may be one of the greatest contrasts of how people see things so differently than how God sees things. The story is 46 verses long. 
I'm not going to read all of it. I know, it just... I don't have time to read the entire passage, but I do want you to understand the story. And so I'm going to tell you the 46-verse story, and I'm going to give you a few of the verses as we go through it, but you need to understand the story. It begins with Lazarus being sick. His sisters Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, who was somewhere else, simply telling him, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. That's all it said. They don't ask him to come because they realize that if he comes, he will be in peril in Bethany where they live, just a couple of miles from Jerusalem there in Judea. Jesus responds to this in verse 4 by saying, but when Jesus heard this, he said, oh, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And so he says that this, is, this sickness is going to be an opportunity for God's glory but he says, but we're not going to go there right now. Jesus says, we're going to wait for two days. And then he tells his disciples, okay, now let's go. And the disciples, they understand the peril that he might be in there in Judea. And so they explain to Jesus how dangerous this might be that we might ought not go. Ever explain things to Jesus? Yeah, I have too. Jesus says this in verse 11. He said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And if you're a disciple, you go, this is great news. He ain't dead. He's just asleep. Guys, you don't get it. And so... Jesus has to say this, and in verse 14 it says, and Jesus said them, to them plainly, never mind, um, Lazarus is dead. And then he adds, and I'm glad for your sakes, disciples, that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, the disciple, later to become the doubting Thomas, the realist in the crowd. He realizes there's no talking Jesus out of this. And so I would imagine there's a hush in the air, dramatic pause most likely. And the one lone voice of the realist in the room, what does he say? All right, let's go with him. Let's all die together. And so they head off and they find that Lazarus had been dead now for four days. Martha first and then her sister Mary. You remember them, right? The doer and the feeler, right? They tell Jesus that if he had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And beginning in verse 23, Jesus has a conversation with Martha. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says to her, trying to drive home his point that she's not getting, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. The story continues, and Martha and Mary all, and all those around them are weeping in deep grief over the death of the beloved Lazarus. And uh, we read this descriptive passage starting in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. We'll show you. Jesus wept. Jesus tells them to remove the stone that covers the tomb. Martha, in Martha's way, objects. <laughs> she says, Jesus, our brother Lazarus has been dead four days you don't really want to open the tomb. It's going to stink. So picking it up in verse 40 and reading to the end of the story in 46, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, key phrase, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. The prayer's already been prayed. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they not could have their brother back, but so that they would what? Believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, his face wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. I would think so. <laughs> but some of them, went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And if you read verse 47, it says that the Pharisees convened a council. It's time to put an end to this man. Martha, Mary, the Jews, the disciples, all of them saw this situation different than Jesus did. And in the message today, I just want to point out how sometimes people look at things differently than the way God looks at things. Because I think that happens in your life and my life too, doesn't it? One of the things we see here is that people wanted to protect Jesus. The sisters, they, they just send word, Jesus, Lazarus is, is really sick. They didn't ask him to come. They, they, they knew it would be dangerous, and uh, they didn't want to be responsible for him coming, and it cost him his life. And 
but they thought he ought to know because he deeply loved Lazarus. The disciples, well, they did the same thing as they warned Jesus, uh, Jesus over in Judea, they might stone you, they might kill you. There's dangers that exist over there. I began to think about that. Do we ever today protect Jesus? Do we want to protect Jesus? It sounds like a strange question even as I ask it, but uh, could it be that today we have become a bit um, afraid of how Jesus plays in the culture? We need to protect him a bit. We need to strategize better. We need to watch what we say and... uh, We need to package the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ in such a way that it's a little bit more uh, user-friendly. Not quite so contrasting as Scripture paints it. And we need to protect Him. I mean, when you read the gospels, don't you just have to love the disciples? I mean, here are the disciples, and they say what? Now, Jesus, you know it's dangerous over there in Judea, and we care so much for you that we don't think we ought to go. You see where I'm going, don't you? Because Thomas, the realist, There's no stopping him. So we're all going to die. It's just the way it is. Right? I think these disciples, yes, I think they wanted to protect Jesus, but uh, we know them too well to not think that they wanted to protect themselves. Why did Jesus want to go? Jesus wants the revelation of the glory of God. He makes it very clear from the very beginning. This sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. Lazarus has died for the glory of God. Now, if you're a disciple hearing that, you're going, Jesus, what in the world are you saying? But Jesus is expressing boldness. He's expressing power into the life of this situation. He is saying that I am the glory of God revealed to all mankind. This is an opportunity. Jesus did not go to a public execution, die on a cross, and when he breathed his last breath, the earth shook, the graves were opened, the veil of the temple was radically and violently ripped in two, He didn't do all of that so that we can handle the gospel with such kid gloves today, protecting him. He's perfectly able and capable. We have been given the keys of the kingdom of God to reveal the very glory of God in the day in which we live. Each and every day we put on the full armor of God that has been supplied for us by the living, breathing Holy Spirit in us. We hold up our shields of faith, deflecting the arrows of deception of the enemy, and we cut through his lies with our sword, which is what? The word of God. And I say, amen. Let's go. Let's do it, right? 
That's Jesus. That's the glory of God. Another thing we learn here is that people just don't understand Jesus. They don't understand what he's trying to tell them. The conversation between the disciples and Jesus about Lazarus being asleep. And Jesus was saying, I, he, he, he must have thought that they would surely get this, you know. He is asleep, meaning dead. That was another common way of saying dead in the day. And they have no idea. Well, he's just asleep. What's the big deal? No, guys, he's dead. He's dead, and this affords us an opportunity for faith and belief. He's talking with Martha. She doesn't understand what he's saying. He tells her that her, her brother's going to rise again. You can almost hear the flippancy in Martha's voice, can't you? He says, Martha, he's breathing this life words into her. He's saying, Lazarus will rise again. She goes, of course he will, Jesus. At the last resurrection on the last day, of course he's going to rise again, but he's dead now. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. She probably thinks that Jesus is trying to, well, he's trying to do what some people try to do at funerals, make her feel better. Do you always know what to say at funerals? You know, you're going to see him again. It's going to be okay. Oh, they're in a far better place. Martha, just cool it. I think that's the way he's coming across to her. I think she's probably a little perturbed by it. Identify with my grief, Jesus. He's gone. He's dead. Don't give me these platitudes that he's going to rise in the last day. Yeah. She misunderstood him. Later in the story, we see Jesus weeping. He's seeing the despair. He's seeing all the crying around, all the grief in the room there. And it troubles him, and he weeps. Again, they don't get it. Look what it says in the passage. It says, people saw Jesus weeping, and what did they say about it? Oh, he loved Lazarus so very much. In other words, he's grieving over the loss of his friend, just like all the rest of us. I want you to know there's a lot of reasons that Jesus might have been weeping, but weeping over the loss of Lazarus is not one of them. He knows what he's about to do, right? He knows what he's about to do. Why is he weeping? What is this whole story about? He's weeping over the despair. He's weeping over the doubt that he can do something about this. He's weeping over unbelief, and he's still weeping over unbelief. Look what unbelief does to these people. It gives them no hope. Look what unbelief has done to my friends. It's very simple. Jesus wants us to believe in him. That's what he's trying to say through this whole story. He started this sickness is for the glory of God. It's going to provoke faith. They're going to see the glory of God and they're going to believe. And 
he tells his disciples that I'm glad that we are not there in Judea to heal Lazarus because we have an opportunity for faith and belief. Faith and belief, same word in Greek. He tells Martha that Lazarus will rise again, attempting to provoke faith in her. Yes, Jesus, Lazarus will rise again. He says, I 